Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Nick Davis! Nick Davis! I don't believe it! I see it, but I don't believe it! Okay, we're back for another episode of I See It But I Don't Believe It. I've got my favourite Swans supporting sisters here today. Uh, Annie and Imogen, Imogen and Annie, how are you guys going? Good, good. Pretty good. You excited to talk about what we're about to talk about today? Yes. This is one of my favourite moments in my life, so yes. Okay, excellent. You were on the 11th, so... Uh... I was a tiny, tiny girl. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about Sydney's 2005 final series. <laughs> Annie's smiling quite energetically. Yes, this was like the best time of my life as yeah. a football fan. I think this is, it peaked for me at 11. And, um, it's all downhill from me? It's all been downhill from there. Yeah. So, uh, some context to this kind of era of football. The Swans haven't won a flag in 72 years. The last grand final they played in 1996, they lost. And it wasn't yes. great. No. Um, they'd recently gone through a pretty tumultuous coaching turnover with the bad man, Rod- bad man Rodney Ede um, leaving in 2003 and um, Paul Ruse as caretaker, well, I don't know how to talk today, caretaker coach um, coming in and having to do some big presentation to get the job. Um, but they'd improved drastically once he came to the helm, and they, they finished the season third, but they, they kind of came home really strongly in the back half of the season. So they come into finals having played a few really close games against West Coast, and it was kind of the beginning of this big rivalry that we all know today. Um, so the qualifying final was West Coast v Sydney at Subiaco Oval over in WA, and there was a crowd of 43,302, which is pretty close to capacity of Subi, I believe. Um, so it was a pretty loud and uh, intimidating crowd, I'd say. Um, West Coast came out quite strongly and narrowly led for the first half, and they took a two-point lead into halftime. And then it got interesting. Sydney had a really strong third quarter, and they kicked three goals one to West Coast three behinds. So they came back, and they were they were doing some really great stuff, but I think the highlight of this game as a whole was in the second quarter, the Swans went end-to-end. And this highlight, I watch it all the time. Um, it starts with Goods kind of in the defensive 50. He takes a couple of bounces. He's running. He kicks it to Canelli, who does the same couple of bounces running through, who kicks it to Nick Davis inside 50, who runs into an open goal. And that kind of was a – it represents a great era of the Swans. So it's kind of a really awesome play. Um and then there were kind of flashes of the week ahead with the the connection between Jason Ball and the Ruck, who was coming to the end of his career, and Nick Davis as a small coming forward. So 
There were flashes there. So in true Sydney West Coast fashion in 0506, um, West Coast won by under a goal. So it was 69 to 65. So Sydney, if they were going to do anything great that year, they now had to do it the long way. So they lost the qualifying final and everything became a whole lot more difficult. Yes. I mean, yeah, but it also gave us one of the greatest finals of all time. Mm, that most people have heard of. Yeah. But I want to shout out some players that don't get as much recognition amongst all of this. Sorry that you weren't Nick Davis. Um, just before you do that, though, I just wanted to say that I remember the, when we lost that first game, when they lost that first game, I wasn't playing. Um, I think for a lot of Swans fans, the, the the last grand final was in their mind. Do you know what I mean? They didn't want to get excited. It It's not like being a Swans fan now. Yeah. It was, we were so lucky. And to lose that first game was just sort of like, of course we lose, we've lost this first game. <laughs> It was just... Heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. And I think that with the Geelong game, we were just sort of waiting as fans to go through the motions and lose that game too. I think this speaks to my um, how lucky I am when I became aware of being a Swans fan. I was two in 96, so I have no memory of the bad, bad team beating us. But um, (laughs) I only remember Sydney being good. And so this was like the pinnacle of that and we've just been good since. So I'm very blessed in that way. Yes, well, not all of us can be that mm. blessed. <laughs> so we come to the semi-final, and it's Sydney versus Geelong at the SCG. Um, 2005 in Sydney, um, AFL wasn't the biggest sport there, and Sydney fans notoriously don't turn out to games. They're probably more likely to watch it at home. But there was a crowd of 39,079 people, which at the time, again, quite significant. It's that, at the SCG at the time, that was almost capacity. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, because there have since been renovations to the stadium, which has increased the capacity, but back then that was pretty tight. Um, the first quarter was pretty even, um, but Geelong kind of pulled away in the second where they kicked three goals too and the Swans kicked four behind, and it looked like the Swans were just going to kick themselves out of it. Um, and in the third quarter, they kicked one goal six. So it was just like... This just isn't going to happen. They're going to lose it rather than Geelong win it in a way. Um, so the three-quarter time score, Sydney was three goals 12 to, for 30 points um, to Geelong six goals 11, 47 points. So it wasn't a huge margin, but considering how how little Sydney had scored and how few goals they'd scored, it just seemed like a mountain that couldn't be climbed. Um, and then when the fourth quarter started, Geelong opened it with a goal. So the, the margin was now at to 23 points. To win this game, they'd need to kick more goals than they kicked for the previous three quarters, and it just seemed impossible. Um, I distinctly remember watching this on my couch and just being so sad as a little 14-year-old, just, like, so devastated, and then um, watching the following unfold because I famously never turn off games. Even if we're terrible. No, we didn't. We didn't turn off either. But I remember thinking, like, oh, we I can't remember, do this. And I just know that Annie just walks away from games. She doesn't turn it off, but she'll walk away for a she while. She will. It's a classic Annie move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Sydney needs four goals to win. Enter Nick Davis. So there's a stoppage near the top of the Swans fifty. 
Um, it's it's almost identical to the tap down of the week before from Jason Ball to Nick Davis. They had such a good connection, and I'm strongly of the opinion that if it weren't for Jason Ball and his really, really supreme ability as a tap ruckman, none of the following would have been able to happen. And a lot of it came from his really, really good skill, and that's why I think tap ruckman nowadays are a little bit underrated because they can really control the play. And this is why Max Gorn is so good. This is why Sam Naismith is so important to the Swans. Tap Ruckman can be as damaging as a ruck that does 12 other things on the ground, like Brody Grundy. You know what I mean? Um, depending on your team's game style. So there's a Jason Ball tap down to Nick Davis, and Davis is able to gather and goal from the pocket. And the Swans have scored a goal, and there have only been three of them previous, so it was just like, okay, cool, awesome, everyone's applauding, and but no one's really getting their hopes up. I definitely wasn't. There was no point to get your hopes up at this stage because, sorry. That's fine. It was that I just kicked a chair, guys. So <laughs> excited about Nick Davis. There was no point to get your hopes up at this stage because there was just no signs that that meant we could win. Yeah, like, it was just, just like at all. little flashes in a game where everything was a little bit mundane and disappointing. Um, but then not too long after that, Ryan O'Keefe, who, again, would go on to be a Norm Smith medalist and an absolute champion of the Swans, despite other things. Um, he, he's in the centre circle and he, he kicks a long inside 50. And um, Nick Davis is in a one-on-two, but he just reads the ball better and he's able to get a little bit of space off his opponent and take a chess mark. And he's he's about maybe 30 metres out from goal, not too, not too much of an angle, and he's able to slot this set shot. Um, and, and famously at this point, Anthony Hudson says, will he be the hero? Little does he know. So Sydney's now scored two of the four goals they need to get in front of Geelong. And but Geelong are a strong team, and they're they're kind of battening down the hatches and trying to close off space and apply pressure and do all those things, not let the Swans get clean possession. But this is why it was it was so significant that it was a small forward in Nick Davis doing these things because a big key forward wouldn't have been able to find the space required to be amazing and win the game in this point when Geelong are applying so much pressure and so much mm. into them. So not too long after that, there's a mad scramble in the Swans forward line and it kind of gets knocked out to Davis, who's kind of running in a circle around the pack, kind of parallel to the 50-metre line. Um, he, he gets the ball, pushes off his opponent, kind of similar to Dustin Martin's style today, and he's, he snaps a goal from 40 metres out, which is – it was an absurd kick, but it was beautiful sailing mm. through. A little bit similar. Had a good arch to it. it had a very good <laughs> arch to it. And it's also not something – and this is not to say that Nick Davis was untalented because it's certainly not true, but it's just not something you thought Nick Davis could do. No, and not when he'd done nothing to that point mm. in the game. Exactly. Exactly. He, he, he had done – He'd done nothing, like actually nothing. And he was apparently – he said that he was told at thirty quarter time, I don't know if it was by Kirky or someone similar, that he needed to get it together. Yeah. He was playing a terrible game. Yeah. And he did. He did. <laughs> so Sydney's three points down. It's 50 points to 53. The Swans are managing to keep the ball in their 50, but they're not really able to get any clean possession. And it's incredibly frustrating to watch because every time a Swans player would get the ball and try to kick it, they'd be mobbed. 
uh, or every time they tried to get a kick away, it was immediately smothered because there was just too much congestion around them. And you have to remember the people that were watching on TV on Channel 10, this was the time of a five-minute warning. It yeah. was fucking stressful. <laughs> yeah, because there was no countdown clock at there the time. There was no countdown clock. It was just a five-minute warning and it was so... You had no idea what was going on or yeah. how long was left. And a traditional Swans game is very stoppage-filled, which means... Quarters can go for 35 minutes or so. Like, they can go for a really long time. You just don't know when it, when the siren's going to go. Um, eventually, O'Keefe gets mobbed and, and there's a ball up. And it's just outside the goal square. And um, there's only seconds remaining. I think it was, like, less than 10 seconds at the time. I don't know exactly how long. Um, enter Jason Ball, who's coming, again, to the end of his career. Um, there's a ball up. And Jason Ball taps the taps it so beautifully down. Nick Davis is running through, gets the ball, but never quite takes possession of the ball. He's just kind of juggling it, and then he's able to get it on his boot. And he's falling to the ground, and there's this such an iconic image of him laying on the ground, seeing the ball go through with his arm in the air, and that signifies the whole thing. He looked like he didn't believe it, and it just sailed through. And there was such a celebration and it was his fourth goal of the quarter after he'd done nothing for three quarters. And this is where Anthony Hudson says the famous line, which is the name of this show, I see it but I don't believe it because it was unbelievable. You just didn't think that could happen. Even um, hearing Nick Davis talk about that, which is one of my favourite things to listen to, um, he said that on that fourth goal he basically just closed his eyes and prayed. Like he had no belief he could kick a goal like that and he just 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 kicked in that direction and obviously, I mean, it fucking worked out. Yeah. Um, and I still remember watching that, sitting on my couch, watching that game with my dad um, and it was the most excited I've ever been about football. Like, I could not believe, I, you couldn't, you couldn't believe what you were witnessing, that we'd kicked nothing for three quarters and kicked one player, kicked four goals and it was Nick Davis that did it. <laughs> like, I remember screaming and being so excited watching that and being yelled at by my parents who were downstairs because I was being so loud because yeah. I just couldn't believe that this it was like something from nothing and you just don't expect that to happen and the fact that he if you watch it he never quite takes possession of the ball he's no. just kind of juggling it and then just somehow drops it onto his boot it's it's remarkable the way that he does it but everything was working for him that quarter jason ball was on point getting the ball to him and he just had to execute after it was given to him and it's, it's a truly spectacular goal to watch it's it's all these years later, still unbelievable for me that he somehow managed to kick it. Yeah. And um, I'm pretty sure, if I'm remembering correctly from my numerous rewatches of that fourth <laughs> quarter, um, I think there was three seconds left when they yeah. bounced yeah. the ball. Yeah. Um, so Geelong had no chance. Gary Ablett, who still had hair at the time, no chance. Tom Harley, who still had hair at Tom the Harley, time. Tom Harley, who had the hair. All these men with hair. Um, but it was Brendan also... Sanderson. Also, yeah. <laughs> it was also a moment that... Um, I think that was the moment where it was apparent to Sydney fans that we could not be stopped. Like, we were going to do something magic, and the only thing I can think of, and I hate to bring it up, that sort of reminds me of, is the 2016 Bulldogs, when they beat Hawthorne, there was nothing that was going to stop them from winning a flag, and I think that was Sydney 2005. Like, we could do that to Geelong. We could do anything. And I think the big thing about this was it wasn't that Geelong lost it because Geelong did everything right. Mm -hmm. It was that Sydney won it because they just urged themselves over that line. Whereas you look at maybe some of the Richmond games 
where they lost it in the last moments. There are so many things where you look at it like, well, this player shouldn't have done this. and But Geelong were doing everything right. They were pressuring. They weren't letting Sydney get any no. free ball, nothing. This this was honestly Sydney urging themselves this there. Was, Sydney won that on belief, not talent, and it was yeah. amazing to watch. And so to, to this, one of my favourite final series, I mean, and not just because we won a grand final out of it, but because it was so amazing to watch Sydney just believe so hard in what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think up until that point, and I mean, he wasn't even there for that long, like three years, but Nick Davis was still like the ex-Collingwood player. Yeah. I mean, also, he, but he was also known to be kind of like a bit lazy. He didn't really put in his all at training. He he didn't look like a football he player. He wanted to live off his dad's fame. Like, that was the view people had of him, you know what I mean? And then you, he didn't look like somebody you thought would make a name for themselves, like who would do something that people would talk about forever. What was the first individual quarter performance that people started talking about in comparison to the Kudafidis one in mm. 1999. That was the first one that even came close to what Kudafidis did. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing about it is that Sydney still had to play another game to get into the grand final. Everyone forgets this poor St Kilda game because <laughs> the Geelong game was so... Another thing about the Geelong game, I always think it was in Geelong. I know it wasn't. But part of me, for some reason, always makes yeah. me believe it was in Geelong. Because we won it, maybe? I don't, I don't know if it's because we won it and we usually beat them there and they usually beat us in Sydney, <laughs> but I always think, oh, that was in Geelong. It wasn't. Um, and you always forget the St Kilda game yeah. because mm. the Geelong game was so exciting that you assume... Well, okay, let's talk about the St Kilda one. We can because, talk about it. Because it wasn't without its drama. No. No, so that's true. the prelim... St Kilda v Sydney at the MCG. I'm sorry, Annie, where were you during this prelim? Okay, so I'm a nervous, nervous, rubbish supporter at this age. Like I was, I was 11. So you was 15, 16, yeah. 16. Like I was just a bit of a wanker teenager, and I would scream and I would shout and I'd cry at football games, watching them. I wasn't a good person to be around. The decision was made. I was not watching this game. <laughs> she was seeing a movie. We had to text her on her little Nokia phone to let her know that we were making a grand final. So there was a crowd of 73,344, which, considering it's a Sydney St Kilda game, that's actually a gigantic crowd. Yeah. And also at, at the MCG, like St Kilda playing at the MCG. Why was that game weird. at the MCG? It was a final? Yeah. yeah. It just seems so weird. I mean, 2005 was one time ago. It's a different age. Um... So the Swans are strong early, but St Kilda pegged them back, pegged them back, pegged them back to the point where St Kilda were leading at three-quarter time. And I was like, oh, Sydney run out of legs. They used it all last week. They can't possibly do that again. It's just not going to happen. And then the fourth quarter, it was actually astounding. They kicked seven straight goals to St Kilda's four behinds to just destroy them. And it was like... Suck it, St Kilda. Is this a fight? Like, what is this? But... But it was, and it was kind of Sydney's most comprehensive quarter of the whole final series. It was the yeah. it was the point where it was like they're actually a really good team. They're not getting by on luck and all these other things. Um, but the performance was unfortunately overshadowed by an infamous mm. inter- incident um, where Barry Hall, unfortunately a co-captain of the Swans at the time, what were they thinking? Um, he, he was reported for striking Matt Maguire in the first quarter of the game. So what he did was, for those who don't remember, he punched Maguire in the gut as he was running to do a lead and then circled back to mark the ball. And by the time he'd 
Dunny's lead circled back and marked the ball. Maguire was still on the ground trying to catch his breath. Mm. So he wasn't able to defend Hall. Hall got a, an uncontested mark and was able to kick a goal. So there was a lot of controversy around it all. The optics were terrible because Hall, I mean, whether or not he was a bad bloke, he kind of had that look to him. Yeah. And he was a very heavy, big bloke. I think the other thing and is... he was a captain. Yes. This was before, obviously, the infamous king hit. Yeah. But he'd come from St Kilda where he'd been a bit of a troublemaker. And I think people sort of thought, like, Tony Lockett Sydney would fix that. And this was the first signs of Barry Hall not being fixed. being fixed by that. And I thought he should have been suspended at the time. Okay. Well, let's talk about why he wasn't. Grand final. No, so, okay, so back back in 2005, the MRP was actually a point system. Mm. Yep. So you get X number of points for X action, and there was kind of a grid. So if it was within play, it's less points. If it's behind play, it's deemed worse, so it's more points. Early guilty plea gets you a discount on points, um, all those sorts of things. So strategically, the QC... Um, Put in the early guilty plea, which gives you a 25% discount on points. So that helped. But then the next step was arguing that it wasn't behind play, that it was within play. And the... (laughs) Imogen's face. Um, The definition of within play was something to do with the distance from where the ball was. So the QC was able to effectively argue that it was within play, therefore deemed the lower penalty, and then with the early guilty plea, the discount meant that he was free to play the grand final. I think everyone, including Barry Hall, who's come out and said it, know that he probably shouldn't have played the grand final. Um, And I think somewhat appropriately he had a pretty bad game that day. He did. I was going to say, so he didn't play the game. He had a very... It just upsets me that he was one of the captains in that grand final. Well, the fact that he was the one holding up the Premiership Cup with... I choose to ignore that. Yeah, it was... It just seems a bit funny when you think about the Swans that he was a captain. He, he's, he's the most out-of-character captain I can think of to see. But I, I think, though, that that's become more evident after the fact. That That's also true. Yeah, that's But, I mean, true. also you look at stuff like, I mean, Tony Lockett won a brown, though. How'd that happen? How was he a Did fairest? He yep. Tony Lockett won a Brownlow when he was really young, and how was he ever fairest on a ground at any point? AFL's changed a lot in the last, you know, 20 yeah, well, or so years. And but I think apparently that's... the commentators still have that mindset, and therefore, anyway, we won't go into that. Anyway, Barry Hall was freed to play in the grand final, and it was controversial, and it overshadowed the performance Sydney was able to put in, and I think a lot of people underestimated Sydney going into the grand final because... Instead of focusing on what they'd been able to do on the field, they were focused on Barry Hall. So we're up to the grand final. Me, little little fifteen year old me, has has just had their birthday and was given grand final tickets for their birthday. Thanks, mum and dad. Went along with mum and dad. Um, I was very nervous. Um, so Sydney West Coast at the MCG. There's a crowd of ninety one thousand eight hundred ninety eight people. Um, my family's from the country, and I remember being up in the country a couple of days before the grand final and driving um, down the Hume back to Melbourne before the grand final with all these West Coast cars who have travelled over from WA to come to the game. It was kind of 
this surreal experience because I'd never been as a, maybe as aware of travelling supporters until my team was in the grand final. Like, all the Brisbane stuff I was aware of, but I was never going to games or mm. yeah. as involved in pre-grand final stuff. So this was kind of like this big experience because it was two interstate teams, which I love because I'm all about it being nationwide competition, uh, but also just the excitement around it was really different to what I'd experienced before. But going into it, I wasn't being hopeful. I'm quite a pessimistic supporter, if anyone knows me. I wasn't getting my hopes up. Yeah, so we were actually interstate, so that was in the worst state we could be in to celebrate AFL. So it was school (laughs) holidays. It was a pre-planned holiday. I think our parents did briefly discuss not going, but we were going to Queensland. My mum's family lives in Queensland. And there was no chance we were going to get grand final tickets because we didn't have the right memberships that time anyway, so there was no point staying Yeah. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So we were in Queensland and we watched the grand final on a tiny TV in our hotel room and people did report around us that they could hear us screaming. <laughs> yeah. Like the Victorians in that room, obviously, or Sydney Siders maybe. An 11-year-old Imogen wore her Sydney Guernsey for one straight week afterwards. <laughs> I I wouldn't mind to squeer a free dress day at school in the last week of term. And I will most, like, could you imagine a year eight, year eight, yeah, year nine girl at a private Catholic school Rocking up to a free dress day in a Swans Guernsey. I love that so much. <laughs> but I now became known as the girl that wore the Swans jumper at school. But this grand final was, I mean, one of the best. Yeah. Look, Sydney just keeps being involved in some of the best grand finals. It was the highest rating ones, though. that and the 2012 one, they're the highest rating ones. And this was this was the time when people liked Sydney. <laughs> yes, no, I Remember those days? We have to put, yes. I mean, until we signed Buddy... People actually thought Sydney were a really lovely team. They were everyone's second team until yeah. they signed Buddy. In, two, in 2012, I don't know anyone who wasn't a Hawthorne supporter. Who was going for Hawthorne. Who was going for Hawthorne. They all wanted Sydney to win. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was It was a very... So Victoria was supporting Sydney in this moment. They weren't supporting West Coast at all. And Sydney were the underdogs as well. I mean, we had Barry Hall, who was obviously a really famous good player. But the rest of the team were just workmanlike. Yeah, I, exactly. And I do also remember on, um, I think it was after the game then, not before the game, um, um, that show yeah, that was glorious and I wish it was still on. Channel 10. On Channel 10. Sam um, Lane? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a good show. Um, when they used to do, like, the fake banners each week, towards oh, yeah. the start of the finals, they did a fake banner for Sydney that was, like, Hi, we've been sitting at the top for 10 weeks. Can you see us up here? Because <laughs> everyone kept talking about how Sydney 
Sydney were always called underdogs when they shouldn't have been called underdogs because yeah. we were really good and we'd consistently been the best team that year. But everyone was like, this Cinderella story come out of nowhere because no one noticed them. But yeah. also because the CEO of the AFL came out and said their game style isn't attractive and they will never be successful playing this style of game. Yeah. and But then I think the other thing is the West Coast players that they had. Yeah. So they had, what, Chris Judd, Daniel Kerr. I'm ben just Cousins. Ben Cousins. Michael Gardner. Daniel yeah. Chick. Dean Cox. Um, like they had the star midfield. Yes. They, they, they had the midfield that was the first to rival the three-peat of Brisbane's midfield. Yeah, right? absolutely. Absolutely. And also... Again, this was before everything came out about West Coast yeah. as well. So yeah, these were two teams that people liked. Yeah. Well, but I think that West Coast were definitely, the on paper, the better team. But, but this goes back to other other situations, like the Sydney Hawthorne Grand Final 2012, is that one team is kind of an even team that relies on each other, not so much one or two star players, and... West Coast were a, a team of star players with, like, a lot of natural ability. Yeah. And that was the difference. And I think that kind of maybe not so much now when Sydney's had players like Isaac Heaney and Callum Mills come through as young players, but throughout the 2000s mostly, Sydney's been very even keel with maybe one or two players that stand out. Um, so Sydney's was what Jude Bolton, Brett Kirk, Leo Barry, Adam Goods, Craig Bolton, those sorts of players, right? Jason Ball, who whose first ever game at the MCG was the 1994 Premiership with West Coast, and this was his last ever game, which was the 2005 Grand Final at the MCG against West. I need to just put out there that I completely forgot Jason Ball existed. Just... I think. Do you know what he? He looked like another one of our players. There was two of them that looked really similar. Darren Jolly, the other ruck. No. <laughs> I'm looking at the list and I don't think he played the grand final. Doesn't matter. It's fine. But, yeah, I think there was, but I think Sydney had quite a few forgettable players We We, we just were players that you were time. like, I, yeah, I think, yeah, we but did. But I don't think they were forgettable. I just don't think they were stars. They weren't stars. And I think when you're coming up against Chris Jard, who was... He was the face of the competition. I mean, he was incredible, and Ben Cousins was incredible. Despite other things. I mean, none of that had come out yet. Daniel Kerr, again, incredible. Yeah. I mean, Cousins had just won a Brownlow. Mm-hmm. That was the year Cousins won it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cousins and just won a Brownlow. Like, he was amazing, and you, how could you beat them? Yeah, yeah and then they had, like, um, Ash Hansen and Adam Hunter as well, who mm. were just... Like those sort of blonde mullety boys. Oh, Adam Hunter had such 2005 hair then. Um, but they they just, like, they were scary. Yeah. Um, they were kind of, they were the force to be reckoned with. They would followed the format of how Brisbane won their flags. Yeah, and there was no home ground advantage. There was no. No. Yeah, was so no, there, was, there was so many unknowns. There was no you play on the MCD all the time because neither team did. They both had to travel. They they were both staying out of the company. You know what I mean? Like there was there was just yeah. so many things about it. Yeah, that like it. I think both teams played maybe twice at the MCG which, in a year, which is what I loved so much about two interstate teams playing in a grand final. In yeah. this, it's like a neutral ground, yeah, which is hard to get in any other year. Yeah. Um, so yeah. the grand final, with let's go through it a little bit. So there was a two point margin at quarter time. And then in the second, Sydney kicked four unanswered goals to take take a kind of a handy lead into halftime. But then it tightened right back up because West Coast kicked three goals too 
to Sydney's two behinds in the third quarter, and it was like, oh, God, not this again. Um, and, and it set the teams up for another thriller immediately, um, and it felt very much like that first qualifying final because yeah. it was swaying both ways. It was always close. No one was able to get a lead big enough that you felt comfortable. And then Sydney, again, Sydney's accuracy was a problem all year and it kind of threatened to be their downfall in this game again. And then the last quarter, both teams kicked two goals, but West Coast had the momentum late. They were surging. And similar to Sydney today, they were conceding a lot of inside 50s and their defence was standing really strong, but it felt like it was almost about to break, like that damn wall couldn't hold up much longer. And you just didn't know how much time was left. And every time Sydney propelled the ball out of defence, it just came straight back in. And the, the last bit of play was a kick out of defence by Sydney up to the wing. And there, Dean Cox, some people complained that it was a push in the back, but he marked the ball um, and kicked it straight back in, knowing that there wasn't much time left. And this pack is formed where the ball's going to land. And I remember sitting right where this happened. Greatest moment of my life. Um, there, there's this huge pack. It's got David Wurrapondo. It's got Lewis Roberts Thompson. It's got all of those big names for both teams are all in this pack. And then you just see Leo Barry, who's got the nickname Leaping Leo Barry because he's really good in the air. You just see him run. And if you're watching the the footage of it, you don't see him until the very last moment because he's running in from the side and he just reads the ball perfectly and just kind of glides across the front of the pack and and takes a mark. And he's still got the ball in his hands when the siren goes. And because of the cheer when that mark was taken, you don't quite hear the siren. We we didn't hear the siren go. Um, Until you see it. Ty Kennelly jump on him, you don't realise the siren has gone. I remember thinking, like, we were watching it and we were, we were all cheering. Like, I mean, the crowd was cheering, but in our hotel room, we were all cheering so loudly for this mark. And then I remember Ty jumping on him and I was just like, what the fuck are you doing? There's a game to be played here. Like, what do you get? Boys, boys. Like, and then I realised we'd won the grand final yeah. and I, I could not believe it. And, like, our dad, I think, was crying. Yeah. Like, because for him, who was South supporters who switched to Sydney when they moved. It's a lifetime. It was a lifetime, but a lifetime of being fucking bad. Yeah. Like, so our grandmother was at the last grand final that Sydney had won as South. Wow. Um, And supported them the whole time. And supported them the whole time. She just adored that team. Um, so she could speak of those glory days, but my dad and aunt and I had not experienced it at all. And while Sydney had been good for most of our lives, they hadn't won a grand final. We hadn't had that. And it was just, I mean, it was just incredible. Like, I, I can't even describe that feeling. It, it, yeah, it was so good. And it was, I think it was a good time as well. Like, I think it was good because the the team that we played were good. Yeah. We had played against them only a few weeks beforehand, which I think was really cool as well. And we'd lost, and so it was like, well, what's going to happen? Yeah. And it was just... It was also just a classic grand final. Yeah. It's how exactly how you want a grand final to be. I mean, as the supporters of the teams... It's stressful. It's stressful. Looking back, I'm like, that's exactly what you want. At the time, you wanted to just yeah. fall over. Like, and it, it felt like we had no right to be there. So that was, I think, another thing. It, we weren't a team that people had talked up, like... 
or anything. And then no one believed in us, and I think that helped. Like, that helped the narrative of what we were doing, this fairy tale, like, whole Cinderella story thing, that we had somehow managed to, like, steal a grand final from these ama- this amazing team. Yeah. Mm. Um, With, like, really decorated, not only players, but their coach was quite decorated too. Yeah. Um, I mean, he had captained the last premiership. We were coming up against a powerhouse, and yeah. we, we and still like won. an unknown powerhouse, kind yeah. of, because it was a time when the media was different. So it wasn't this AFL saturation that you get at like you do now. Yeah. So West and Coast, particularly of interstate teams. So West Coast was a team that you didn't get to see all the time because you might not have had Foxtel. Or when they played their games, they used to... Remember they used to play one game on delay after another game? Yeah. So they'd play two night games and one after the other. So you'd watch West Coast play, what, like 11 o'clock at night in Melbourne. And it was... So it, it just wasn't the same. Like, you didn't know the the like what the players would do or anything like that. You didn't know what was going to happen. And I also think that even though they had... We were talking about the stars that they had... Because you couldn't watch those games as much, you didn't see interstate teams showing in Victoria that often unless mm. they were playing, like, Collingwood or something. Intellectually, like, we all knew that Judd was amazing, that Cousins was amazing. But you didn't actually really see them play that much. Yeah. Yeah, and you couldn't analyse their, their their style, like, on YouTube we or were, something over and over again we were to know what they were doing. We like, we weren't going to Melbourne games in Melbourne that Sydney weren't playing in. Obviously, Sydney weren't playing West Coast in Melbourne during yeah. the season. Yeah. So you didn't see what they were like and you didn't know what they were going to be like against Sydney. So it was a really – it was a stressful game to come into. Yeah, I think that it was the first time I'd ever seen West Coast play live. Really? Yeah, we weren't at that much. I mean, oh, yeah, but, no, the following year was. Do you, but do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so for a lot of people, I – I don't see Sydney te- Sydney play other interstate teams unless I go to Sydney because they're not playing interstate teams in Melbourne. Yeah. So it was just this, like, crazy unknown sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. I just remember um, sitting there when, when the mark happened. Everyone in front... I was confused because I was not that tall because I was 15. Um, and everyone in front of me had jumped up and I'd seen the mark... But I thought something had happened after it, and I was little, so I couldn't see past all these guys in front of me. So my dad like picked me up, and then I saw uh, uh, as I got lifted up, I saw Tykenelli jump on Leo Barry, and it was just like this weird, surreal experience. I was like, "Did that just happen? Like, mm. is that happening?" And yeah, it was just. There's a reason it's one of the most famous marks in AFL history for sure. Yeah. But just a little, like, a little bit of context, though. So it's the highest-rating TV game, TV, highest TV-rating AFL game in history since the tracking system was introduced in 2001. Um, yeah, it was Jason Ball's last game, grand final premiership of the MCG against West Coast when his first game at the MCG was West Coast's last premiership there in 1994. Um, and it was actually the closest grand final margin since the 1977 drawn um, VFL grand final. So obviously there was a draw in 2010 after that. But yep. to that point, it was very close. And then the, the year after was the one-point margin where West Coast got over the line. So I think we maybe don't appreciate how incredible these little rivalries that pop up for a couple of years are where these teams are so evenly matched that the games are so close We've got to appreciate them more as they're happening because there's a reason they kind of exist. Yeah, and 
I think also one thing about the Sydney-West Coast rivalry, which I really love, I have no beef with West Coast. I like them as a team, particularly now. Same. Even when West Coast were bad, obviously they're very good now, our glorious premiership players. Dom Sheed. Oh, Dom Sheed, we love you. But um, even when they were bad, like a few years after those 2006 Sydney West Coast games were always incredible. Well, there was some some like freakish streak where there was nine games in a row that were decided under a goal between the two. Yeah, and even the games we played in 2018 against them. I mean, we beat them both times. We played them, and I mean, Buddy kicked eight goals at Optus, at Optus and that's awesome. But like, that was an intense game to start with. Yeah, because well, no one scored. What was it? Just points kicked in the first quarter. Yeah, and then in the second one against them, that um. The fact that Sydney didn't kick a goal for two quarters and still beat and still beat them, like oh. we play. I mean, that was rubbish footy. For it was so it bad. was rubbish footy. But but Sydney and West Coast have. I mean, for now for thirteen years, have had this this rivalry. That was the game that Will Haywood was on seven disposals for zero disposal efficiency, That's and right. got smashed in the face with a ball. Yeah. Yes, and we somehow won. But I mean, yeah, like I just think those those um that rivalry has stayed. Really nice, but the Sydney Hawthorne one is is very similar it, to it similar. as well. It's just I don't like Hawthorne as much. So I don't expect no. with as much respect. Um, I think the other thing is it meant a lot to the players, right? But there were similar to the Western Bulldogs win. There, there were just people that had been waiting their entire lives, like people like. Our dad cried, right? Mm. Um, he cried in 2012 as well. He loves Sydney more than us. I love your dad as well. <laughs> we think he's all right. He's a good guy. I mean, but so and and you see from the footage, so many people were it crying. Meant so much, yeah. it, it meant so much, and I think what was really great with with the team um, and with Paul Ruse as well was that. They respected that. Mm. They respected how much it meant to their supporters. I think particularly because this was a relocated team in their old home state with fans who had supported them since they were South Melbourne. Yeah. And they and just talk about, like, for South, for the Bloods. Like, I think, I think from – I've read Paul Roo's book and in that he specifically says that it's the players that drove – the importance to remember the South Melbourne Bloods connection to the Swans. Yeah. And it was the players that drove that to acknowledge those fans that had done all of, like, put in the hard yards with this team. And that, I think, made it that much more special because the fans knew by them acknowledging that the Bloods existed and that that's the core of what they were, the fans, it it was that much more special for them because they knew that they weren't being forgotten. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I, I mean, I have not much to compare this to except for, say, Brisbane. And from what I know of Brisbane fans in Melbourne, I don't think that same connection no. – I think it that connection left – I think it, I think they're slowly bringing it back now. But I think for a while they really lost that. Um, but this was just such an emotional day. Um, outside of anything that actually happened on the ground, it was just such a special day. Um, and I think it was just this sort of – like for me personally, so I, when I first started going to the football, I, I wasn't told I had to be a Swan supporter, but the first game I went to was a Sydney North game and Sydney won. And so... And North of the worst. And North of the worst as well. Um, so I decided <laughs> that I was going to be a Swan supporter that day. Um, I went with my aunt and I asked her to buy um, Imogen and Xavier presents from there. And so we got Imogen a bib. 
So she had a swan's beep. I don't know how this happened, but I was told I had to be a Sydney swan. I think, yeah, anyway. So, <laughs> which thank you, guys, by the way. <laughs> and, I mean, so then the, the following year, Sydney made the grand final and lost. And so in 2005, as I said, I was 15 or 16, so I was young. And, but it, it, it was just like, I felt like I'd been waiting forever. Do you know what I mean? Like I'd been to one of these before and I just needed it so badly. And it was just so, it was so important. It, it really, really was. And it, and it's, and it's got like, it's left like a special place. In, in my heart and it, like it was such an important game for for my family um as well because all of us are swan supporters yeah um and like for instance um so my grandmother who like as as she got older she started to lose her memory and she knew she loved the swans and we had the dvd of that game and she she didn't remember the grand final so we could put the dvd on like it was live and it brought her so much and joy. And it just made her so, so happy. And it's just, so that grand final was like one of the sort of the last things in her life. Yeah. And it was awesome. After she had waited so long. She had actually waited the 72 years yeah, for this to happen. Because she'd been at that grand final um, when South won their grand final and then waited 72 years for another one. Um, so she had actually waited for that moment and she she loved South and so when South moved to Sydney she said, Well that's who we support and I think Sydney that day acknowledged that Victorian fans were there and had waited yeah. and, and had not let Sydney die, had not let them be moved to Sydney to to die. Like yeah. they, they were gonna keep them alive and this solidified that they were never gonna forget like the Victorian roots of that club. Yeah, yeah so when Paul Roos was speaking, when the commentators were speaking, when the players were speaking, they were speaking to my grandmother. Yeah. Right? And that was I was and and they they were speaking to me as well, but I was so happy that they were making my family so happy. Mm-hmm. So any other sort of no other grand final win will have that significance because it was just such, I don't know, it was just so needed. Yeah. It was just really nice. I think it uh, proved, even though it took nearly 30 years after the move, it proved that it was the right right move to make and Sid, the Swans were the pioneers, whether, whether by their own choice or not, were the pioneers in creating a national league. Yeah. Even though they weren't the first interstate team to win a flag, they were the first to be an interstate team. And it was their hard work that let West Coast exist in this league and let Adelaide exist in this league. Even though they are really strong footy states and they've got their own rich footy history, it was the Swans' move that allowed this national yep. league to exist and in doing so this flag was kind of a nod to that as well yeah um yeah and i think i think as well it shows that when the media talk about say gws and they talk about Fremantle, and they put this pressure on them this really serious pressure that they probably don't need to because sydney took a like they took a long time to get there yeah um and it worked out okay in the end. And yeah, I, but the, people are just so impatient in footy now that they don't give, like, the whole Brett Ratton thing at Carlton, they just didn't give him the time no, to create what he wanted. They don't give anyone enough time. I also think that another thing that people forget, and part of it is because Sydney is so successful now, 
and have been so consistently good yeah. is that when Sydney were moved to, like when South were moved to Sydney, I mean, it was a real fucking struggle for them. They were still playing their games in Melbourne. They were they, part-time. They were part-time. Yeah. They weren't mm-hmm. being, like, this club was falling apart. Yeah, like early 90s they went a season and only won one game. It was 1994. It was the year I was born. I'm so sorry, guys. Paul Kelly. But just, I mean, Sydney struggled and it was hard for them. And so even though they'd come good, you know, they had started coming good before that. 2005 felt like the accumulation of all these years of effort. And I think the other part of it was it wasn't a a manufactured talent list. It was a spirit list and those premierships always feel a little bit more special than ones that are kind of created out of money and and that kind of stuff. And also Lewis Roberts Thompson was robbed of the Norm Smith. Okay. Just have to put that out Should we end it on that note? (laughs) Yeah, well, no, I think... Yes. Whether or not Lewis Roberts Thompson should have won it or not. He should have. I think it was... When when we talk about how maybe Sydney won't notice as much, the fact that a Sydney player didn't get the Norm Smith was yeah it was yeah because yeah. Chris Judd stole it. <laughs> but I think I think that was just it was all part of it, right? Yeah. It was who are this team? But I mean, also I mean, to be fair, he was robbed. But and we talk of a team that didn't have a true champion. The fact that Lewis Roberts Thompson was like second in line for the Norm Smith <laughs> that signifies. I mean, it was. I mean, that's who Sydney were. That they was not a. Yeah. There was not a standout in that game. No. In that sense. Yeah. But he was robbed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, uh, this has been another edition of I See It But I Don't Believe It, the episode where the name comes from. Um, thank you, Imogen and Annie, for coming to chat about this. No problem. Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> uh, I See It But I Don't Believe It. We'll be back in a couple of days. Very excited to talk about our next topic. 